This morning we are turning to the second half of Acts chapter 3. We're going to be thinking about the surprising work of God and how that fits into our mission as God's people, specifically the, the mission or the part of that mission that is evangelism. One of, I think, the, the daily challenges that faces us right now is simply opening the newspaper up or turning on the 6 o'clock news and remaining somehow hopeful in that process. Right When it feels like every story, every, every headline is heavy or ominous, we can almost dread hearing the news right now. And so some of us have simply tuned out. Others of us have, have tried to stay with it, but again, had to find a way to stay hopeful. But into that void, a different take on the news has emerged. Not breaking news, not fake news, but simply good news. And if you are following what's happening on Facebook or YouTube these days, you may have come across the actor John Krasinski, who has fashioned himself as a news anchor on a mission to find good news every week. At the end of each week, he uploads about 20 minutes of content on YouTube that is is kind of centered around a few basic elements. The first of those is conveying stories that are relevant to the sort of new life of isolation that most of us are in the middle of and making sense of what we're all going through. In addition to that are stories that are poignantly personal conveying what real people are doing to serve and to take care of other real people right now. And there's, there's always kind of an, an invitation for the audience to share more of those personal stories with the program. And thirdly, there's always some big surprising story, some surprise element at the end uh, where, where they pull together something to make someone's day in, a, in an unexpected fashion. Now that mix of the relevant, the personal, and the surprising has struck a chord with our culture at the moment. People are are hungry for this good news. So much so that about 15 million Americans are, are looking for those YouTube clips every week. I think as Christians, though, that ought to make us sit up and take notice Because at the center of what we believe, at the center of Jesus' preaching, at the center of of what the, the church in Acts testifies to is good news, right? The the phrase gospel or euangelion means that very thing. News that is good. Unfortunately, somewhere along the line, though, for, for our time and place and the cultural moment we live in, that good news has been muddled. That good news has been tuned out or misunderstood or even misappropriated. And so in large measure, people don't don't hear the gospel for what it is anymore. But I I wonder if in a time like this, that that there may be a new audience, a new opportunity to to re-articulate the words of life that Jesus has given us to bring into the world. Incredibly, though, Jesus hasn't chosen to anchor his own YouTube channel. Instead, he has chosen you and I as his emissaries to embody and to bring that good news through 
our lives, through our churches, through our communities. Today I want to then consider how evangelism, which literally means the sharing, the proclamation of news that is good, how it is surprising in nature, how it must be contextual, it needs to relate to the world in which we live, and how it must always be personal as well. And to to see how those three elements fit together, we're going to look again at the church in Acts. And in particular, Peter's evangelistic message or proclamation at the end of Acts 3. So if you turn there with me, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word spoken, that you would remind, that you would refresh us to hear it as good news to know that it possesses life, to know that it's personal, to know that it makes sense of the world we live in even now, and that it's also surprisingly good. Lord, I pray that as I preach today, with these words that come from my mouth, with the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we started with Acts 3, and we saw uh, a picture of this early church community going forth in mission in new ways. And they they went forth in mission, we said, by seeing what God had put in front of them, namely uh, a lame man who was sitting outside the temple gates in Jerusalem. And they offered to them, offered to him what they had, not necessarily a handout or, or gold or silver, but instead an invitation into the healing and restoring power of who Jesus is. And incredibly, we saw that lame man begin to walk and to begin to worship in a new way, and he joined that first community of believers in Jerusalem. This morning, I want to pick up with Acts chapter 3, verse 11, as Peter and John stand on the temple steps with this man and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus to those who have just witnessed this. Verse 11 says, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had not decided, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, 
But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. We see in the first verses of chapter 4 how many more came to believe in Jesus that day as a result of Peter's preaching. This is an impressive evangelistic message from Peter. But I wonder how you and I actually feel about evangelism ourselves. And part of me kind of squirms at the idea, even, even the word evangelism, because it still causes me to picture, you know, knocking on doors or, or handing out pamphlets or even kind of sheepishly trying to find a way to bring my faith into conversations with colleagues or friends who just don't seem all that interested in what I have to say. Often, I think, evangelism feels to us like trying to to introduce, trying to initiate spiritual interest from someone else, right? Stirring that up from scratch. This week, Katie and I were, were remembering those sorts of conversations we've had over the years and she recalled as a as a young person being very kind of zealous and enthusiastic about her faith and being on an airplane for several hours next to an older gentleman and and sharing with him for you know story after story and after a couple hours he just said you're really enthusiastic about this aren't you and then he sort of kindly changed the subject Right, evangelism sometimes can feel like an uphill battle. But in the book of Acts, I think we might actually be surprised to see that evangelism isn't cold calling a crowd of people with facts or information about Jesus. In the book of Acts, evangelism more often depends upon the element of surprise. Namely, the surprising work of God going before his people. God doing fresh and surprising things through a a surprisingly, even shockingly potent and powerful community of people that he has sent on mission. If you look at this particular example, before Peter ever steps up to preach this sermon or to evangelize this crowd, he has been incredibly well set up by God. He has been given one heck of a surprise 
that has, has preceded this moment. Verse 11 tells us that, that as he, he begins to speak, he stands there uh, on the, not the temple steps, but on, on, on the colonnade, colonnade surrounding the temple where Jesus used to teach, where the, the first church met. And he stands there arm in arm with this lame man who God has just healed, who the whole crowd recognizes and knows. And they've just witnessed this lame man dance his way through the temple courtyards. Of course, that's astonishing. That's surprising. And verse 11 says the crowds in their astonishment come and they, they want to know what has just taken place. They're provoked by something that God has chosen to do through his people. And so they show up with questions. They show up looking for Peter to supply answers. And Peter doesn't doesn't have an evangelistic sermon in his back pocket. He didn't come looking to preach or to evangelize that day. But he sees their interest. He sees the curiosity in the crowd. And he courageously offers a reply, beginning in verse 12. But notice that he begins this message with a pair of questions. He says, why does this surprise you? Why are you staring at John and I like like somehow we did this, like we would have the power to heal this man? In those questions, he makes their curiosity the starting point for what he has to share. Pastor Tim Keller suggests that a large part of being effective in evangelism is actually perceiving what questions about life the people in our particular time and place are asking. Not necessarily the, the questions the church is asking, but knowing what questions the world out there is asking about reality. Here in Acts, this crowd wants to know how it is that a lame man has come to find life and healing and restoration. We have to pay attention to the questions that people are actually asking. One example of this that's kind of deep in the roots of our congregational churches here in New England is what happened in Northampton, Massachusetts back in the 1730s. There was a a young preacher at that time by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And he began to see in not just his town but in the villages in that region a greater sensitivity, especially among the young people of that day, a sensitivity uh, and, and questions that they had connected to their own perception of, of mortality. There had been a number of young people who had, had passed away suddenly, and there, there was a great sense and a great desire among, among the young people to find something that was enduring, to find some kind of life that they could hold on to and hope in. And recognizing these questions and these longings, Edwards then began to preach the gospel of Jesus boldly, and in particular, how that gospel presented new life, or what what was known as the, the rebirth that we could experience through faith in Jesus. And what followed in, in the wake of that preaching and in the preaching of others like him was America's first great awakening. It spread throughout the colonies. 
Edwards would, would later describe what took place in that season in a work that he called the surprising work of God. And God had done this. God had, had caused that receptivity to take place. Our own experiences with evangelism might not always feel like a great awakening. They might feel more like we're talking to a brick wall. But if that's the case, I wonder if it's because we begin too often with our own ambitions, our our own plans, rather than praying for and, and noticing where God might actually be creating curiosity among those we, we live with and work with and care for? What's God initiating and causing to take place? Sometimes they might be miraculous or, or unexplainable things, like the, the miracle of, of this healing in Acts. But I think other times the surprising work, the surprising life of Jesus is made manifest in, in smaller details. It provokes curiosity in those around us when, when God's Spirit begins working through worshiping communities of men and women who begin to live their life in mission and following the Holy Spirit. And we begin to embody that good news. And we begin to embody things which create curiosity and questions. However it is that God is working, he is always working in advance of us, provoking questions in the hearts of those we hope to reach. And so I think evangelism must be committed to God's primacy, right? It's it's his ability, it's his desire, it's his, his initiative to work in mission before us and to prepare those opportunities. But as much as evangelism begins with the surprising work of God, it also needs to be followed then with, with our task, our, our showing up and, and trying to make sense of what God is doing and how it fits into the bigger picture of the, the time and the place and the people we live among. And that means that our efforts at evangelism must also be contextual. Today you'll hear contemporary thinkers and writers use the term cultural narratives. And when, when they speak about cultural narratives, they mean the stories that we tell or any culture tells to make sense of our past, to make sense of our present, and even to think about our future. Because they are cultural narratives, then the, the stories, these particular stories change depending on where you live in the world. They also change depending on when in history you happen to be living. Cultural narratives are they're diverse, they're, they're dynamic. Sometimes they are even in conflict with each other. Right? Not all cultural narratives can be true. But I think when we imagine what we're doing uh, in mission and in evangelism, we're not just adding one more cultural narrative to the mix. Instead, evangelism, I think, is helping people connect these stories of meaning that, that they're processing and telling helping them connect those stories with the story God has told in Jesus Christ. And Peter does an incredible job of this here in his message. He takes the healing of this particular lame man, and he says, let me help you understand what has just happened. 
But let me do that in a way that unpacks this event in light of your history and your culture and your own people, your cultural narrative. In one sermon, then, Peter manages to link Jesus in the ministry and in the life that's coming through him and his church. He links that all the way back to Abraham. He pulls in the writings of Israel's prophet over a thousand years. He moves into the present moment and he, he explains what Jesus did in light of, of current events and, and political movements. And he even concludes with how Jesus fits into what this group of people are expecting about the future and what God has promised for them as a people. Peter essentially is locating why Jesus matters to this group of people. He, he kind of explains how, how Jesus is, is like the Rosetta Stone in their culture, right? He, he, he says Jesus is at the center of everything you, you have been struggling and, and longing to make meaning of. Too often, though, I imagine those outside the church today don't see how Jesus matters. They don't see how he is relevant. And they, may, they may be spiritually curious, but the world of the Bible, the world of the church, and the cultural narratives that they live out of, they, they don't overlap much. And where that's true, it, it often then is the case that evangelism feels like a non-starter, right? It's your world is over here, my world's over there, and, and we're happy just to keep it that way. We get that impression. Again, to quote Tim Keller, who I found helpful in this area, he says, whenever that's happening, we need to, to recognize how important contextualization is in evangelism. We have to demonstrate, Keller says, how the plot lines of the stories of their lives, the lives of the people we know and care about, how the plot lines of their stories can only find a happy ending in Jesus Christ. And I think in order for us to do that with people we care about, it means that we gently enter into the narratives that they live out of, even if they're not narratives that, that we understand or identify with ourselves. Right, those could be stories or, or narratives about politics or about sexuality or about economics or about identity or about history or about any of the things that matter to people. And we have to understand how our world is, is trying to make meaning and sense of these things. And as we do that, as we walk alongside them, as we seek to understand, then with appropriate humility, but also with, with the boldness that Peter demonstrates here, I think we have to share with our neighbors how it is that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus make sense of those narratives. They, they fulfill them. Maybe they redirect them, how they ultimately transform those stories. We have to be equipped to demonstrate how Jesus is truly good news for them in the places that they're living in, the questions and stories they're asking and telling. I think that brings us then to a third aspect of evangelism that I see here in Acts 3. Evangelism begins with the surprising work of God. As God's people, we need to be ready to, to contextualize that work and help people make sense of it. But evangelism ultimately must always be personal in nature. 
For Christians, evangelism can never just be about issues or ideas. It must always bring the questions we find people asking and bring them to the person of Jesus himself. And look at how Peter does this. He says, you've you've just seen surprising, life-giving, unexplainable things happening. But as surprising as these things are to you, they are astonishingly, astonishingly consistent with the person and power of Jesus. And Peter says, let me introduce to you the person of Jesus. The late John Stott says that that Peter's whole sermon here is basically a long introduction to the name of Jesus. He gives that, that, that idea of who Jesus is, of the identity of Jesus, center stage. Verse 13, Peter says Jesus is the glorified servant of God. Verse 14, Jesus is the holy and righteous one that we disowned. Verse 15, Jesus is the author of life. And in verse 16, he says that by faith in that name, this man has received healing. He has been restored by the name of Jesus. So God always wants to lead us back to the name and to the person of Jesus. In that way, the good news or the gospel is always personal. Beginning in verse 17, though, we also see that Peter's evangelism not only recognizes that that the good news is connected to the person of Jesus Christ, but he brings in a second dimension of, of how it's personal. He says that we need also to respond to the person of Jesus personally, right? As as a human being, as an individual. He says that before today, you were ignorant, speaking to the crowd. He says, you you didn't know, you didn't understand, you didn't perceive why Jesus mattered, or why he was relevant, or why he was good news. But now you've been given an invitation. Now you've been given an introduction. In fact, you've seen the Spirit of God working through Jesus in your midst. You've seen it poured out on Pentecost here in Jerusalem. You've seen it in the healing of this lame man. You've seen it demonstrated through the the life and community of this new church in Jerusalem. So Peter says, it's time then to put ignorance behind us and instead to become personally acquainted with Jesus. And in verse 19, he describes how that acquaintance, how that transformation can occur. He says, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing might come. Maybe you yourself need to hear this aspect of evangelism personally today. Maybe you need to to proclaim the good news of Jesus to your own person, to be turned away from whatever narrative or, or whatever thing you've been trying to live in or through or accomplish and be turned to Jesus so that, so that his work, so that, that his cleansing and his forgiveness, but also his refreshing might come to you in a new way. Maybe, though, you've also been walking alongside someone else that you love or care for. And they've, they've seen the surprising work of God. They've, they've become curious. They're asking questions. But they might need, as Peter offers here, an, an invitation to step out and to know 
Jesus, to begin to walk with him in a personal manner. What, what would it take then to invite them into that kind of relationship? What might God be doing in and through you and in the community of people that walk with you to bring forth that personal dimension? I want to finish our time today with just opening up some space to pray and, and with the hope that we could see with fresh eyes the good news that we have been given as persons, but also to take to those that we love. Right? It's, it's a good news that is surprising. It's a good news that is personal. It's a good news that, that makes sense of the world we live in. Let's, let's just take a time uh, to pray and to enter into that together. Lord, I thank you that you have been speaking, you have been moving and acting and initiating throughout time in history from creation onward. You've spoken through the prophets of old, you've spoken through the ministry of Jesus, the witness of the apostles in the New Testament church, and you continue to speak through your people and your body, your living church today. Lord, I pray that we would wait on and hear and be refreshed by the goodness of your word to us today. Pray that you would give us a joy and an eagerness to be part of bringing that good news to the world in which we live. Lord, thank you that you are more committed to those things than than we ourselves are. Thank you that it's through your power, the working of your spirit, um, that these things become fruitful. It's in Jesus' mighty name, the risen and glorified Jesus, that we pray today.